0: Hey D. Hey, Mickey.
1: <laughs> hey, everybody.
0: Welcome back to Grief After Dark Season 2. Dark Matters. We have an excellent conversation for y'all today.
1: You guys. Woo! I mean, we're gonna say that every time because
0: we are gonna say it every time because the spectacular folks we have oh coming up in through here is just it's it's everything. So. I've
1: lost track of is this episode four? It is. <laughs> I, we are four episodes in with a lot to go, and I am like drowning in love and gratitude already. I am moved mm-hmm. to my spirit. Yes.
0: Just thank you to any of you. I, I too am filled with gratitude for this project, and we will say this every time, so I don't care if you're tired of hearing me say it, but...
1: If you're sick of <laughs> gratitude, then go somewhere else. Go you somewhere from else. Me? <laughs> Just keep hitting the forward button until we start real content, which I will now announce. Today, we are sharing our conversation with Gina Harris from the nonprofit Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. This is an organization that Dion introduced me to. They have volunteer photographers. In all 50 states and also abroad, she said, she's going to give you all the details, but this is an organization that offers a free service to bereaved parents to take family sessions with their babies and children.
0: Yes. And to put a little content warning is that we are going to talk about baby death. So if you are sensitive to that, always moderate yourselves turn this episode off if it's too heavy yeah we do not shy away from these things here so
1: no everybody was quite candid it's a it was a very it was a moving and emotional and difficult conversation I think I was over here quietly crying maybe 10 or 15 times (laughs) this isn't something you can get through if you have any kind of a heart without being moved Exactly. by the content but what an incredible woman
0: exactly and what an incredible team too so incredible you know she goes into organization the structure of the organization how to get involved i please y'all take notes and get involved if you can because this is such a beautiful offering to our community and you'll hear me say that several times welcome gina harris from now i lay me down to sleep
1: This podcast addresses death, difficult emotional content, and contains profanity. Listen Mm -hmm. with your own motherfucking discretion. (laughs) (laughs) Get your kids.
0: This is Grief After Dark.
1: Welcome, Gina. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here, taking time out of what I'm sure is a very busy schedule.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I, it's just an honor to be on this podcast and to be able to share more about Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep and my story with other people. So thank you so much for what you're doing. I oh, think man. it's very much needed.
1: It's our pleasure and back at you.
2: Like, oh, definitely.
1: Yeah. I was telling Gina before I hit record, this is something I had no idea was a thing, did not know it existed sent me through the gamut of emotions, um, Mm -hmm. learning about it, just looking at your website. I actually hopped on your website again, right before um, we all got together today. And I was like, all right, I'm going to have to cut this short because I can't look at it without crying. So, and I don't want to just cry through the podcast, but it hit so close on so many different levels. It made me uncomfortable. um, It made me anxious. It made me sad. It made me grateful. It's It's grief encapsulated. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to learn more about it. Please tell us everything.
2: All right. Well, now I lay me down to sleep as a nonprofit organization, and we provide remembrance portraits to parents experiencing the death of a baby. We have photographers around the world that go into the hospitals and capture the only moments parents have with their babies. So uh, it's an amazing group of volunteers that have a special skill set that they can provide and, you know, really gift parents with what I think is one of the only gifts you can give them when they experience the loss of a baby. We also have a medical program as well. There's different situations where a photographer cannot come out or it's not conducive for a photographer. So we also train nurses and they get continuing education units to um, photograph The babies, and then they send them into us for retouching. So all the photographs that we provide are gently retouched and we create an heirloom quality portrait for families. And we create something that they probably cannot create for themselves, maybe using their own phone or their own camera, but we're giving them that heirloom quality look that they can keep. And we know will last for generations.
1: Yeah. How many photographers do you guys have on your roster?
2: We have uh, close to a thousand. We're in all 50 states and in multiple states abroad. Uh, We've been around for 17 years now. And it's in that time we have photographed more than 50,000 sessions. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible.
0: And and how do photographers volunteer their time to do this if it's something that they were interested in?
2: They go to our website and click on volunteer, and then it has the information. We are looking for a certain skill set. You don't have to be a professional, but you do need to demonstrate that you can use auxiliary lighting, that you can pose, that your photographs are in focus. We have some very, very great amateurs that volunteer with us. Uh, That's sometimes a misconception that you have to be a professional photographer. You just need those skills. So Mm -hmm. uh, we have a variety of uh, volunteers. We have some that have learned photography just so they could volunteer with us in this way. Uh, Yeah. A few members of our staff, uh, they've, they don't, they're not doing this as staff time, but they volunteer outside of their staff time to also photograph. So there are a number of people that they really love it. And some of them don't do photography in any other way. They just learned how to do it so they could volunteer with us. That's incredible.
1: That is incredible. Wow. What What is the beginning story? How did this all start?
2: Well, the organization started in 2005 by uh, Cheryl Haggard and Sandy Pooch. Uh, Cheryl was uh, going to be delivering her fourth child. And unbeknownst to her, uh, he had a condition called myotubular myopathy, and it prevented him from breathing or moving on his own. He was born, was on life support. And after the sixth day, she had to make that excruciating decision to remove Maddox from life support. Uh, But she saw beautiful photographs in the hospital and they were of healthy, chubby babies. And she thought, I really want a photograph like that to hang on the wall alongside of Maddox's older brother and sisters. And so uh, her husband called the photographer who had taken those photographs and Sandy came out and photographed Maddox and just gave Cheryl the best gift she could have given her in that moment. And um, Cheryl had taken pictures with her own camera Um, in 2005. She had just gotten a digital camera. And uh, but she she just saw tear-stained cheeks and just swollen eyes and sadness, which is One of the reasons why all of our photographs are in black and white, uh, because they are timeless and uh, you can look at photographs from 17 years ago and you don't necessarily know it was 17 years ago when you see her photographs of Maddox, especially with his siblings. You can tell it was 17 years ago based on what they're wearing and what was in the background. And so um, making this timeless look is uh, something that we create that makes us unique from maybe just photographing your baby yourself or maybe having a friend do it for you. And so uh, she had those photographs and she knew she wanted to do something with this. And she and Sandy started. Now I lay me down to sleep. Uh, This was in February of 2005. She lost Maddox. And by April, we were a nonprofit. And she, um, if you know Cheryl, (laughs) she's the only one in the world who would have thought of this needs to be a nonprofit or I need to photograph my son. And so the organization started, and uh, Sandy, is a well-known photographer. And so many photographers signed up to be a part of it. And within a year we had more than a thousand photographers and it just kept growing. It became, you know, worldwide. So that, that's the startings of the organization. Uh And what about you? Okay. I'll tell you how I got involved. (laughs) So in 2007, my husband and I were pregnant with our first baby Uh and we learned halfway through the pregnancy that our son, David would not live. He had a condition called Potter syndrome where his kidneys did not develop and uh, it was something that was incompatible with life. And so we decided to carry our baby until he came. And most babies with this condition, they they go about mid 30 weeks and then you naturally go into labor. And that's exactly what happened with me. I had time uh, from the diagnosis to when I delivered David and I had a friend tell me, about now I lay me down to sleep and I understand what you mean about those mixed emotions that you were talking about Mickey I thought that's just is that strange that we, I would photograph my baby part of my grief journey actually I'll just back up very briefly and if you need to go into it later we can my my dad died of a brain aneurysm when I was 13 years old he was only 39 and it was very very oh. instant Uh, And then when I was 19 years old, my older sister was murdered by her husband. So I I know grief, like, and I I think about, I wouldn't take a picture of my dad or my sister in this situation, but I thought, but I have pictures with my dad and my sister and they're my memories and they're alive and I'm with them. And I thought, this is the only opportunity I'm going to have to have photographs of David. And even if I never look at them, I'll never have a chance to get these photographs again. Yeah. Um, So uh, even though I was a little apprehensive at first, I decided to do it. I saw how gorgeous the photographs were and I decided to to have the photographs. So we um, had him photographed when he was born in uh, October 25th, 2007, and they are still my most prized possessions. I cherish them so much. Uh, My, our doctor told my husband and I that we could get pregnant again and um, we should have a healthy baby. And, you know, I read stories online and they didn't find anything um, very specific for me not to. And we uh, ended up getting pregnant again. And the 16 week ultrasound was the first opportunity for them to see if our baby had kidneys. And we went in and the the baby had kidneys, but um, the doctor found two other conditions, high drops, which is fluid and build up, uh, fluid build up around all his organs and then, uh, cysts around his neck and, uh, which is, um, the cystic hygromas. So, um, we were going to lose our second son, Ethan. And again, I, I didn't, um, I wanted to carry him and have him with me as long as possible. So, um, the doctors said come in every week because you're not going to feel him move. They were surprised he was even alive, um, with how severe it was. And I went all the way six months into the pregnancy, and then his heart had stopped. So we induced labor. They tried to prepare us for the condition he would be in, but you know it, it was it was pretty severe. Um, we were able to hold him, uh, but we basically kept him covered in a blanket. And I thought about calling out, he laid me down to sleep, but I just didn't think a photographer should come out for that. And I thought about this camera in my bag. And that maybe we can get a picture of me holding him and looking at him, and my husband there. We could get pictures of his hands and feet. But to lose a second baby um, in less than a year of losing our son David, I just was in such shock that the biggest regret of my life is not photographing Ethan or having something. Yeah, you know I I know oftentimes, um, and this was now in 2008 when we lost Ethan, that Ethan gets forgotten because I don't have those pictures. But David, it seems to be more remembered by people we love. And I think that's changed a bit because I've said this a lot, (laughs) Um, but those photographs document the existence of a baby. And oftentimes when a baby's stillborn, they don't get a birth certificate. You get a death certificate, but not a birth certificate. You're responsible of burying your baby or cremating your baby, but you don't have a birth certificate. Um, We not only photograph stillborn babies, but also early infant loss, uh, such as uh, Cheryl's son, Maddox. What we hear over and over, even in journal articles, it's these photographs document the existence of the babies and that they are real. And um, it is truly a loss. And so Ethan has been an inspiration behind our medical program because he was a perfect candidate for that, where a nurse could say, you know what, we can get some great pictures of his hands and feet you're holding them wrapped in a blanket. Let's just get that and send it in for retouching. Uh, So, um, you know, Ethan is that inspiration behind it. You know, we're just, we're so grateful for the photographs.
0: Thank you for sharing both David and Ethan with us. Mickey and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago that when my daughter died, she was four years old and I didn't let anyone, but my brother take pictures at, the funeral. And at this point, like, I really regret that because, you know, he didn't take that many, but I also am like, I don't, I have two pictures maybe of her. And even though she did have her life, I now, yeah. So I understand that regret of like, "Mm, I probably should have done that because it is that lasting memory. It is what you can take with you. And that is what's left now. Yeah, You know, in our grief and stuff. And so thinking about any funeral that I've been to, which, you know, has been plenty. I don't have any of my stepdad when he passed away at 40 years old, just randomly Mm. dropped dead from some random condition. And then my father, you know, in 2020, just recently died in his sleep and I don't have any photographs of him. I have two photographs of us together and that's it. Like, Mm. so I really think this is such a beautiful thing to revive you know this was a practice for a very long time and and I don't think a lot of folk realize that because somewhere along the line it kind of got washed out and this is not a thing we do anymore.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah well there's actually a whole history it's uh, post-mortem photography in the Mm late 100s and early 1900s when um, you know you hear of rooms being called the parlor room Mm -hmm. uh, they prepared the bodies in their homes and Photography was so expensive that oftentimes the only pictures they had were of after they died. And uh, we have a good relationship with Dr. Stanley Burns. He's the biggest collector of postmortem photography, and he has featured us in some of his books as well. But yeah, there's a whole history behind it. But when uh, people started ending up, you know, going to the hospital for care and then going to uh, funeral homes to, you know, for... I don't even know what you call it, but for the end of life, um, it it just wasn't happening in the homes. Uh, So that that's really, it kind of went away. And when Cheryl thought of this, I don't think she knew anything about the post-mortem photography. She can speak better about it than I can, but she just knew this is something that she wanted. And then there's this whole history behind it.
0: Right. Um, And that, I mean, going back to you, the practices we are getting so far removed from the practices that we were doing before where it was, the bodies were prepared in the homes and not a lot of people know that you can bring your deceased loved one home from the hospital in all 50 States. You can do that. Like you, like you can prepare them at home. No, I don't think a lot of people realize because we've been so removed from death as a community thing. Well, people don't want
2: to talk about death and that's probably why they don't know. True. True. That's totally where I was going. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know, I've, I've heard there have been people, they take their babies home and I know of people who have, and I mean, I don't know for sure what I would have done, but looking back and knowing what I know now, I hear it is 14 years later, you know, that I left the hospital and I remember that night I was trying to go to bed and I'm like, where's David? Is he at the hospital or the funeral home? Like I had no idea. And I called the hospital And I can't remember now where they said he was, but I found out the next day he was in the opposite place of where they said he was. And that was just so hard. And I was just talking to somebody about this, uh, somebody else that I didn't realize took their baby home. Um, I'm like, gosh, I would have known where he was that night. And I, but they don't give you that option maybe because it's just so taboo, but it might've been something I would have considered. I can't say for sure, because In 2007, people still weren't talking about pregnancy and infant loss like they do now. And I don't mean to toot our own horn as an organization, but I have heard nurses over and over and over say that it's because of now I lay me down to sleep and us putting a face to these babies that more people are talking about it. And I can say from personal experience, I've been with the organization for um, over 10 years now and- When I was trying to build our social media, the comments that people would make on the photographs were just so sad. And sometimes we'd have to take them down. Sometimes we would re-educate, just educate them what they're about. But we don't get that anymore at all over the past many years. It has just changed with more media attention as well. But things were even different back in 2007. It wasn't talked about in the same way that it is now. Honestly, it, it was
0: different back in 2013 because had I known that I could have brought my baby home and then I could have done my own ritual, I could have washed her, I could have done all of these things. I was sitting there preparing a ritual wash for her to send to the funeral home for them to take care of her, and I'm just like in that place where I don't know where she, I don't know what's happening to her. I don't know how they're going to comb her hair. I don't. I was worried about all of those things, and I didn't realize that that was a thing I could have done for her. And I absolutely would have done for her.
2: Yeah. I mean, those are your last parenting moments. And you know how to do
0: her hair, right? Right. I don't have to ask anybody or tell them this is the product that you should use. Or like, and it was, it was the thing when I saw her, I was disappointed with how they did her hair. And then I felt bad for even criticizing that. (laughs) But at the same time, it was true. It was like, you know what, y'all, I wish I could have dressed her. I wish I could have done all of those things. And it's not a thing that they offer mm-hmm. to you right away at all. They don't, they don't offer it at all. So.
2: No, they probably think it's uncomfortable, but if people knew it was something they could do, it. it I think it would be very healing for a lot of people.
0: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. More, more healing than I think people realize.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I'm hoping that with this shift in culture and more and more people, talking openly about grief and loss to normalize it so that people know there's nothing morbid. You lose someone that you love. The love does not die with them. This is something we carry for a lifetime, Mm -hmm. like a photograph. It's lasting. Mm -hmm. Why would we not commemorate something like that? Why would we not treasure it? You know, definitely, I think, looking it in the face, talking openly about it and finding community where we can all say this sucks. This is the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. It's a lot healthier than trying to brush it under the rug like generations before us.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think uh, one thing that I find, too, and, you know, I'm mainly interacting with parents who've lost a baby, but sometimes they hesitate posting on what would be their baby's birthday. And we call it an angelversary because of comments like, aren't you, aren't you over this yet? And, you know, like it's this month, it'll be 34 years since my dad died. Yeah. I mean, it's a, he's almost been dead as long as he was alive. And he has had the biggest influence on my life still to this day. And I'm choking up just talking about it but I want people to remember him. That's why I post about it. It's not for sympathy for me. It's look at this great man. And I post about my sister too. And I, I do that about my babies because I want them to be remembered. And I think people hesitate talking about death because they don't want people to think you're doing it. So they'll feel sorry for you or so you'll get sympathy. I don't want sympathy from people. I don't want the, those sympathetic eyes, you know, honestly, I want people when they see me to see strength and that I'm an overcomer and yeah I'm more than a survivor. I am an overcomer and I thrive even through adversity. And I want people to see that. And I want people to see my loved ones and how much they meant to me. And so I think people do hesitate talking about it, but, you know, we all have a hundred percent chance of dying and we should be talking about it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so glad that the two of you do that.
0: And and preparing for it, mm-hmm. you know, and just in in small ways over time, even. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that summation because you know, folks, we we just had our daughter's birthday was yesterday, and wow. like I commemorated that, and we do it every year, and I I won't ever stop doing it, and I get the looks still, and I get yeah. the you know the sighs and the pities and the oh, you know but I also get the overwhelming celebration from people who actually knew her, who are like, I remember her and their kids who remember her, who are like finding pictures of her and wanting them to be framed in their rooms because of how much they loved her. And that's mm-hmm. this, that's
1: what I want to hear. I I'm like, do you remember her? Well, and from people who are not afraid of their own emotions, Because I think a lot of the pushback, when we try to celebrate these people who have passed on, we want to celebrate their life and who they were and who they were to us and and what they brought to the world, even just for a short period of time. And everybody else has to push up against it because it makes them so uncomfortable I mean, to me, that was what was initially so jarring about now I lay me down to sleep. I've never been pregnant. And I think there's nothing more terrifying than the loss of of a baby or a child. Like, this is something that everybody can feel inherent fear of. It just so happens that while part of the population who's pushing up against us on these posts is like, please don't make me feel sad or uncomfortable. I'm over here, like, we have to talk to this person because I, like, I have to, I have to see what is so uncomfortable about this. And a lot of it is the fear, but the thing is, and they are, it's such beautiful imagery.
0: Oh my gosh. They're incredible. They're, they're incredible. So
1: tender, like there's such tenderness. And what I found after I got over that initial hill of like, ah, um, um, you know, grief is so lonely. It's, it's such a lonely place, but in these photographs, there's, there's togetherness of Mm -hmm. couples, of moms with babies, of other siblings. There's like a real, there's a togetherness in it. That's, and that's so beautiful. And that just seems so important. And I love that we found you guys because this is just one more thing that I never, I never even thought of. And I just think it's such important work.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank one you th- all for that. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Well, one thing we say is we don't photograph death. We capture love. Mm. And I can't tell you how many stories I've heard from our photographers that sometimes the parents feel a little uncomfortable holding their baby or even touching their baby, but the baby's right there in the room and we never force a parent to hold the baby if they're not comfortable but sometimes a photographer will start off with will you just put your finger out and wrap your baby's fingers around your finger let me get a photograph of that and then before you know it the parent is holding their baby for the very first time in those photographs and so mm. our photographers while it's never forceful if you know a parents uncomfortable they don't make them do that but our photographers have witnessed sometimes the parents holding their baby for the very first time. And it's, um, it's just an amazing, beautiful experience.
1: Yeah. I would imagine you have a somewhat extensive training program for your photographers, just in talking with people and working in an environment like that.
2: Oh, we do. So we screen the photographers for their skills, obviously, when they apply. So because you have one chance to get this right. We have, um, you know, also professional photographers. And even if you screw up a wedding, you don't want to do that. But if you do, they can, everybody can get dressed back up and, you know, not ideal, but you can reshoot it. Um, This is, they have one chance. And so we want to make sure they do a, a great job. First of all, by the time a photographer's applied, they have really contemplated it. Sometimes it takes multiple touch points to get them to apply. They usually say, I don't know if I could do it. I'd be too emotional. And a lot of what we say to photographers who think that is um, that you're stronger than you think. And to be able to use the skill you have to give the best gift you'll ever be able to give somebody. Uh, And that's, I'm just repeating our photographers. But to be able to do that, um, you will find that this is the best way you can use your gift as a photographer. Usually they put a lot of thought into it and they don't just jump into it haphazardly. So, you know, we've had so much success having just such caring, gentle, wonderful uh, photographers, but then we do have the training and most of that training, it's not necessarily about photography. The photography part is how to handle a baby that either is on life support or has died and how to pose the baby uh, but then it's also introducing yourself to the parents, how you interact with them. You don't walk into a room and say, how are you doing? That's just not right. the best question um, to ask. And then also when you're interacting during the photo shoot to call the baby by name, to call mom, mom, to call dad, dad, um, you know, just to really interact with the, the family in that way. Uh, we we try to do the session within 30 to 45 minutes because we don't want to take away their time with their baby. So that's really a lot of what that training consists of. And then of course the, just the nuts and bolts of where to upload the photos and how to get them sent to the families. But the biggest core part of that training is the compassion and the care, but typically our photographers come here with that. I can't think of times at all that when photographers uh, didn't have compassion (laughs) For right. Family. I mean, to do this
0: work, though. Yeah. That has to be like the number one thing. You Yeah. I mean, who would volunteer and not have that? You know, yeah. and so that which brings me to the next thing. How
2: can photographers
0: find out how to volunteer with you all?
2: So they can go to now I lay me down to sleep dot org and then click on volunteer. So there's photographer opportunities, but we also need digital retouch artists. So maybe you're not in a position to go into the hospital, but you Uh, you know, Photoshop, and you have some retouching skills, we have those positions available. We also need dispatchers to help dispatch the calls. So if you don't have the photography or retouching skills, there's the dispatching, as well as community volunteers, hospital liaisons. So there's plenty of other positions that we need if photography is not your thing. And all all the positions are important because it takes all the positions to be able to make this happen.
1: Yeah. And I don't think we've said this yet, but this is something completely free to the
2: families. Yes. Uh, we don't charge them anything. Yeah. That's so the way The way we're able to recruit, train, and mobilize the photographers is uh, through the donations. And so we're a nonprofit. And so we're always taking donations as well.
0: Awesome. I really hope our listeners are are tuning into this because donating to your mascots are here um <laughs> donating to your organization <laughs> my mascot just walked in my room <laughs> yeah I, I mean i would highly recommend it like it let's keep this going far and wide y'all because this is such a beautiful project and it's such a beautiful um community offering and i'm going to look into it here in my town just to see if it's available and and what people have and and maybe donate some of my
2: time to help out because, that'd be great I might follow up with you on that <laughs> <laughs> please do
0: I mean I, I don't know that I'd be ready to go out and photograph anyone just yet but I definitely can do hospital liaisons and and you know I am in the grief community here so I do death doula work and all of that so I oh I wow could be of some help in in a small capacity mm-hmm. anyway. way which would be an honor Oh, that'd be wonderful. Thank you.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Sure. I feel like the top of my head has been blown off. (laughs) Right. I definitely feel like my whole heart has been blown wide open. I think it's Mm -hmm. such an incredible organization and I just can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming here and sharing your stories and your experience and how you got involved in telling us more about what you guys do. I really do hope everybody
2: jumps on board in some way, shape or form because it's incredible. If I could, um, we also, I just want to mention that we have a remembrance walk. Mm -hmm. um, We've had them throughout the country. Uh, It's for anyone uh, who's lost a baby, whether it's a miscarriage, a stillbirth, early infant loss, SIDS, uh, but we don't, I mean, we'll honor anyone. Like my mom was coming to our walk. Um, which happened to be my sister's birthday, and so we put my sister Chris's name on there too. So we don't, I mean, we don't exclude anyone. Primarily, it is the pregnancy and infant loss community, but um we are going to be in person again this year at some of our locations. so in Ohio, uh, Minnesota, and Colorado. So go to the website about that. and we have a virtual walk as well. So if you're not in e- any of those states, and we were in multiple states, but that's where we're starting out this year because we've gone two years without, An in-person walk. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we do have that. We, it's not just a walk. We have a program element where we read all the baby names and then you release a butterfly. And so there's um, music and usually we have a speaker. It's just a a beautiful event. And if anyone is wanting to uh, remember and honor their baby, then that is a wonderful way to do that. And it supports the organization. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And we will put links to all of
0: this on our
2: website as well. So we are
0: walking into our rapid fire question time. If okay. You, if you're game.
2: Sure. I don't know what you're asking me, but. That's how. fun. <laughs> that, that's the
0: fun of it. It's like a little, little grab bag of questions. They're not necessarily related to anything we've already talked about, but no. our first question is, what is the last book you read or listened to?
2: Ooh. Um, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Let me, I'm looking on Audible. I listened. What's it called? redeeming your time by Jordan Rainer. I love productivity and I love, I love reading books about it. So I read that. And then can I say one other? Yeah, oh, please do. Okay. And full out by Monica Aldama, who is the coach of Navarro cheer. Ah, Texas, the cheer Netflix. I I'm a cheer coach. I have been one since I graduated from high school and I love cheerleading. So that's another side of me, if you want to nice. <laughs> All right. productivity, which if you're going to coach and run a nonprofit organization, you kind of need to have the productivity skills. 100%. Yeah.
0: And the cheering everyone on. Yes. Keeping everybody exactly. motivated. Come on.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, I am. Let's see. I just finished the girl with the dragon tattoo. Like you know, 18 hours later than everybody else, but that's okay. It's pretty good. Surprisingly (laughs) good. And um, I'm at the tail end, of course, of Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown.
2: Oh, I have that on my uh, wish list or I've saved it. Is that one good? It's, I'm such a fan of hers. I mean, if you listen to the podcast, I think
1: I bring her up like once an episode, but um, yeah, in this book, she's usually talking about shame and vulnerability and, you know, all the different aspects of life. And gosh, let's, you know, how does that apply to grief? But um, totally. this book, she's really kind of defining emotion because the more literate you are with the world of emotions, the more you can understand yourself and connect with other people better.
2: Oh, I I need to read that. That's, so that's been on my list. And she had something where it compared to having sympathy and then having empathy. That's this book.
1: Yeah. There's there's a lot of recurring themes with her books, but yeah, that that's in... That's in this one. I I recommend it.
0: I am working through my grandmother's hands. It's um, racialized trauma and the pathway to mending our hearts and bodies by Resmaa Menachem. It's really beautiful. um, And it's about like somatics and stuff. And it's like racism is not only about the head, but about the body Mm. and Within the last year, I've been doing a lot of ritual work and a lot of um, ancestral work with some others in my town. And it's been such a profound and opening, like heart opening read. I I have to mosey through the books because I've got a lot of stuff going on here. So it's taken me a long time, but it was a gift. And what a beautiful gift it has been because, Mm -hmm. I mean, working through all of this grief and trauma, like having this is a companion read for me has been a blessing.
2: Mm. Wow. Well, it's called my grandmother's hands. My grandmother's hands. Okay. Our next question. Are you much of a thrill seeker? Uh, I would say I'm (laughs) average. (laughs) I'm the one who has to ride all the rides with my son. I, I guess I didn't finish my story. Now I'm talking about my son, RJ, but. I was told I'll just say that real quick. That's okay. So this makes sense. But after I lost David and Ethan, they told us we couldn't have a healthy boy. And then we had two miscarriages. Then we decided, you know, we didn't know what we were going to do. And then that's when I took the position at now I lay me down to sleep as the CEO. And a month later I was pregnant with my now nine-year-old son. And so, um, he knows his big brother's and he knows who they are, and he knows about the miscarriages as well. So he says he has four big brothers in heaven. Hmm. Um, and but he really knows who they are because he at least has those pictures of David. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to preface that since yeah, I'm glad I'm you am talking did. about going on rides at amusement parks with my son. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll do any like amusement park ride, but I'm not gonna be jumping off a bridge or bungee jumping off a bridge. Or anything like that, but my husband—he just can't. He he'll do the rides, but he can't do anything spinny. And as I get older, it's kind of getting harder to do all that. Yep. <laughs> but I ride all the rides. All right, fair. <laughs> what about you guys?
1: I, well, I was going to say define thrill seeking because, like, for some people, that's just getting in the car and driving to the grocery store and <laughs> deep. <laughs> 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 I have been bungee jumping. I have been skydiving. Those were like in the early days. I don't know if I would do it. And I wouldn't say I'm a big thrill seeker these days. I find some pretty simple things quite thrilling. So yeah, by most definition, I'd say probably not. Those, those days are past. Ship has sailed. Goodbye.
0: I'm going to definitely say hard. No, I am not <laughs> a thrill seeker. I don't want to get on your plane. I don't I don't want to jump out of it. I certainly do not want to jump off a bridge or anything like that. Um, you tried once, though. I did not, actually.
1: Well, we tried to get. So a million years ago, my brother-in-law <laughs> worked for a bungee jumping company, which is why I ended up going. And Dee and I and a handful of other people, it was a hike in. To the site where it was a bridge, and I want to say it wasn't even a long hike—maybe three miles one way. It was a long hike. Well, it was supposed to be three miles one way, but the trail had gotten washed out, and we got lost and just ended up stranded in the middle of nowhere overnight in the mountains of Azusa, California. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Crying. Segway. Sorry. That was me. Um, (laughs) 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 Like, screw. That's what happens when Dion tries to seek a thrill. I don't, I end up crying because I don't want these thrills. (laughs) Uh,
2: Oh my gosh. I have hiked to 14 or I I'm in Colorado. So, you you know, I haven't gotten lost. So that's good. It's Real good. Right. I
0: don't even hike for thrills. I want to sit down. I want to take frequent pauses and have a snack and talk to the fairies and the trees (laughs) and things. I don't, I don't need to go to the top Mm -hmm. of anything. I just. I'll sit here at the bottom and wait for you to be back. <laughs> I will have had my nap and everything.
1: Fully <laughs> totally hydrated and rested.
0: hmm My skin will be <laughs> sparkling. It's <This is> great. <laughs> um,
2: would you rather be a hero or a villain in a movie? Oh, probably a hero. <laughs> I'm in nonprofit work. I don't know. I that sounds I don't that doesn't sound very fun, I guess.
1: <laughs> I no, it, it does. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, I don't want to be the hero for sure, but I'd want to be the, you know, like there's a David and Goliath. I don't want to be the David, like the one, the underdog that overcomes. Mm -hmm. I always like stories like that. Mm
1: -hmm. I like heroes, but I like heroes with a dark side. Mm. So like hero, but Deadpool hero. Hmm. I can see that for you. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, that's kind of reminding me of, have you seen, I don't know if you've seen this, the movies, uh, Descendants. They're yes. like the, the descendants of the, the villains young villains of, they're the, of, yes. of Disney. <laughs> and so like Maleficent, you know, the, her daughter, Mal, uh, my son was into Descendants for a while.
0: So. Oh my gosh. I have one that's very into Descendants and I've had to watch it. Oh, and I know. He's
2: over it now, but yeah, they're. They're villains, but they actually end up being good. See? Giving it away, right. but that yeah sounds that's right. Well, do. I don't think every villain is
0: totally villainous. They're a villain the for a reason. Like, have you seen Cruella?
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: have. I've seen all the things, it, and she, you know, it's sad because
2: it's not right. You start doing things, to but it's so sad <laughs> what happened in her life. Like, there's a reason why people. Do what they do, mm-hmm. and you know, even talking to my son, you know, he's in third grade, and you know, there's little fight things, and I'm like, think about what's going on with that kid's life. Mm-hmm. Like, there could be something going on. Maybe that's why they said that. And you know, pray for them and love them. Pray that you will see them through God's eyes. Um, and and so, yeah, I I do love villains in that way because it's like, you know, I everybody has a different path and there could have been something really terrible they've gone through and they could choose either way. And then just seeing that movie, Cruella, I just saw it because I was sick for a while. So I just saw it and um, I'm like, that's just sad because she could have chosen a good path, but she's going to go down the mean path. And I know it's a movie, but a movie's you want it to be redeeming at the end. <laughs> and it kind of made me sad, <laughs> you know, like, Oh, she could have gone down a good path.
1: Mm -hmm. more realistic that way though because it's true it's not all it's not all as neat and cut and dry as we'd like it to be that whole hero villain
0: thing which is that's my whole thing I'm like I'd probably at this point if I mean if I answered before my before times life I'd be the hero but right now I'm feeling a little (laughs) villainous (laughs) I'm like "Hmm, I don't know but I think that that speaks a lot to how we do grief in our communities and stuff too like how things are written and like we only get to see that dark side of like, oh, this is this is the thing that happens when, you know, terrible shit happens mm-hmm. to you and you go ahead and become the villain and you do the you do the all the bad things. And then it's like we automatically have to not take compassion for the villain at all and or even ask any questions. of like, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. You know, are they really a villain or are we just avoiding an uncomfortable are we about some terrible things that have happened to these people. I a long time ago wrote a thing about me and Darth Vader and nobody wants to be Darth Vader but like you know the terrible things that happened to him in his story that's that's I probably end up mm-hmm. being a villain. Yeah.
2: <laughs> like I can't see myself doing anything different yeah. honestly. Well, I are you guys familiar with the Enneagram? I mm-hmm. just okay. Mm-hmm. so okay, I'm an 8 challenger. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes people see me as a villain, but the, Mm -hmm. the, and it's (laughs) one of the books I read that female eight is the most misunderstood Mm -hmm. of the Enneagram because I will defend you and I will fight for what's right. And for justice, and I will do whatever it takes. And sometimes I may not be nice about it, but you know what? I have your back and I will do whatever it takes. And some people don't like that. So I probably am. Some people yes. who this might be like, Gina, you're a villain. So <laughs> I am, but I have a good purpose underneath. <laughs>
1: well, right, yeah, exactly. the misunderstood villain.
2: misunderstood villain and how many
0: times do people exactly. write about With the like, cheerleader you know? smile and <laughs> right <laughs> you're on to something oh my gosh it's been such a pleasure Truly. to talk to you and I thank you so much for sharing and and letting us get to know you a little bit afterwards and you know it's, it's been a it's been a pleasure thank awesome you so thanks for having me
1: thanks for your time and mm-hmm. and for all that you do